hello, uh, it's me again. Um, if it sounds like I'm trying to stifle laughter, it's because it's exactly what I'm trying to do. As is typical with Witch Car Weekly, Andy has made me laugh again, and it's always difficult to stop laughing because he is a funny man, and it's him that we welcome back again for another instalment. If you are new to Witch Car Weekly, you have missed about 57 excellent instalments. Um, this is the podcast where we talk about all of the current affairs and some irreverent subjects, and we bring along the very greatest minds in motor journalism in Australia. Andy Enright, deputy editor of Wheels magazine, is one of those minds. Good morning. Good m morning, three hours ago. Uh, we also welcome the fabulous Chris Thompson, uh, digital editor of Motor Magazine. Back again, Chris. Thank you so much for, for returning to the Witch Car Weekly Fold. Hello. This is like the fourth time I've been on now, I think. You are. Does that elevate you to the dizzying heights of regular guests? I think it probably does. I don't know. This is episode 58, so 48? So yeah, I guess well, I've been on less than one in every 10. Is that regular enough? Yeah, well, by, yes. Okay, let's do it like that. One in, yes, the probability of Chris being on the show is one in 10, and that's probably going to get tired sooner or later, but it isn't now, and so welcome back, Chris. Um, welcome. We have you back for a very specific reason, um, and it is as such. You wrote a story for um, The Webs recently, which kind of was an evolution on a theme that journalists and car enthusiasts play around with all the time. It's the, the hypothetical, if you had a sum of money, what would you buy? And it's a question that most journalists get asked quite frequently, but you shouldn't, of course, because a motor journalist will always give you a stupid answer. They'll always say something impractical and fast and sexy, which is, of course, the advice you shouldn't give people because most people don't give a, a, a damn about those attributes. But... You took the idea a little bit further and you turned it into a really excellent story, which you can read on the web. If you go to whichcar.com.au forward slash motor, you'll find it there. Explain what it was. So I decided that uh, after a conversation with some of my motor colleagues about this very thing, that we should basically, I should hassle all of you for your shopping lists. I'd give you all, I think, six categories with different price points and say, what would you buy for this amount? What would you buy for this amount? So we started with 40,000, 60,000, 100,000, 300, oh, 200,000, 350,000. And then I also said, what would you buy if you had an unlimited amount of money? And all of the answers were re really interesting. I asked, you know, the folks from Wheels Magazine, everyone who works at Witch Car, some of the street machine guys and the unique cars guys as well. Um, it was interesting to see the, the broad range of answers we got back, but it actually, you say I wrote the article, I think everyone at the office wrote the article, really. Um, you, it ended you, up being, couldn't buy, you couldn't buy used cars, could you? And they had yes. to be new cars so that were I, kind of available now, wasn't it? I did also set some other rules. Uh, we used the MSRP rather than dealer drive away prices because it was easier. They were just across the board all the same. Uh, you don't get to buy more than one car for each category and you're not building like a, a six car garage across all the categories. You just have one car for each thing that, that has to be the only car you would buy. Um, and yeah, they had to be new and you had to be able to buy them in Australia. So I mostly wanted to talk about this because of one of Dan's choices, but we'll get to that. <laughs> all right. Before we go on and I try and defend myself, will you explain the one is you're talking about as if we don't already know? So 
Daniel Gardner, for $40,000, said that he would buy a Haval H2. <laughs> I, I have no words. Right. Okay. Explain, explain yourself, Dan. I will. I will explain myself. It's a, it's a sort of two-part explanation. The first part is I read between the lines and realised that, as I've already said, when you ask a motor journalist what they'd buy for a certain sum of money, don't take any notice of what they say. Because if it's a car for them, it's going to be something stupid and you won't want it. Or at least you might want it and then you'll hate living with it. So I knew the actual answer of what I would buy, which I'll tell you in a moment, was pointless. So the second part of the answer is, I, I, reading between the lines again, this story was partly about useful consumer information, but also about entertainment. And the analogy I gave you, Chris, at the time was, it would be like going on the game show, eight out of 10 cats does countdown and trying to actually solve the maths problem. No one tunes into <laughs> that show to watch people do maths. They want them to be funny. So I decided to be mildly amusing. I wouldn't go so far as to say funny. Um, because I know Rachel, the maths girl, is never going to fancy me for making good maths. She might find me even mildly interesting for saying something amusing. So I said the Havel H2, and I said it's because everyone else will pick the Ford Fiesta ST, which was the right answer, um, but I didn't for those reasons. That makes that makes Andy and I both wrong with different choices then. Oh, so what did that. you guys go for? So I, I think I've done something that I might change my mind on, but okay. Andy chose Andy chose the Toyota 86 GTS in manual, a very good choice. Yeah. Uh, I chose similarly along similar lines the base model manual Mazda MX-5 with the 1.5 litre engine. Yeah. I'm completely unbiased. We'll get to that later too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll find out why. Um, So why might you change your mind on that? I think I like the 2 litre engine well enough to actually want to choose that for my next up category, the $60,000 one, in which I actually chose a Golf R wagon mostly because of the factor of a Golf R wagon is a family wagon that can beat sports cars. (laughs) Yeah, it does everything, Um, yeah. It does, but I don't know that I actually... I'm very much a fan of small, lightweight cars and the Golf R is not really either of those. So what replaces the 1.5 MX-5 in the the initial category then? Probably the Fiesta ST, if I'm completely honest. Exactly. My my lower cost choices are fairly predictable. A Fiesta ST, a two-litre Mazda MX-5. But um, I think once we start getting up into the higher price ranges is where things get very interesting. Because there were a lot of unexpected decisions. Can I please redeem myself by, by saying what I probably would actually buy? A few people, um, other journalists and friends of ours, chimed in saying they would have the Hyundai i30N, which, of course, they can't. Can they, Chris? Why not? No, because it only costs, I think, another $490 more than forty grand or something like that. Oh, no, it's... So what you're saying... Slightly more than that, I think. Is anyone who picked that car is a bad journalist and has been... <laughs> yeah, that's right. They, they, they failed. I did actually... I, I did get a message from uh, someone who works closely with Hyundai who said, actually, that car costs less than that, and that was the price they were given by Hyundai. And I said, well, I, I think the rest of us who are not friends with Hyundai have to pay the normal price. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not letting them get away with that. So the car I would actually buy is not an i30N. I would go for its um, 
stable mate. I would go the Veloster Turbo manual. I know, I know what you're thinking. There's more potent vehicles out there, but as a car that sort of mixes and blends styling and kind of quirkiness and exclusiveness on the road and also is a damn good thing to drive, um, yeah, that would probably be my pick. I like the I, I feel I feel that I've answered the maths question somewhat by uh, by nominating a Toyota 86 manual. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I, I can't think of much that's much more rewarding than that manual gearbox rear-wheel drive. It, it seems a bit sensible, but there we are. I've got to be sensible once in a while. No, absolutely. Um, very uncommon for Andy, too, yep. so we forgive him that. Um, what else? What other interesting picks were there in there, Chris? Well, Andy's picked for 60 grand. I'll just go th- through them very quickly because some of our colleagues had some interesting choices. Andy yep. picked at 60 grand a Honda Civic Type R, which I tossed up between quite a lot as well, but I just, I just, can't, I just can't see myself living with the styling. As no, much, I'd have to take. I'd have to take the wing off because I'm too old to get away with as, it. As <laughs> much as it is one of the most brilliant cars I've ever driven, it does not visually appeal to me. Yeah, exactly. You need you need to buy it first of all in black because that hides most of its sins, and then you need to exactly. put a bag on your head so no one can see it's you driving it, and then it's just about doable. The worst part of that is that then if you have it in black, you're going to be washing it for your entire life because you've bought a black car. Andy, what was your pick? Um, yeah, Civic Type R. Oh, right. Okay, so how do you, how do you address these styling problems? Um, I'm sitting in it and you all have to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> Can't argue with that. Dan's choice. Dan's choice of a Ford Mustang with a 2.3 litre turbocharged engine was interesting because as much of, the, uh, as much of a nice handling car that is, is it the Mustang you should really buy? Um, no. This is, okay, so normally I'm happy to be tongue-in-cheek, complete hypocrite, but on this particular occasion, I'm sticking to my word. I've claimed since the start that the Mustang EcoBoost, or as it's now called, what's it called, the Turbo High Performance? I can't remember. Um, 2.3 litre high performance. Yeah, which really rolls off the tongue. But anyway, I think it's better than EcoBoost because it makes it sound like it is actually good fun, which it is. For me, it's always been the pick, and there's a few things going on here. One is, as you'll detect from the accent, I wasn't raised in a nation which is completely V8-obsessed. Four-cylinder turbocharged mm-hmm. engines, and Andy will attest to this, hopefully, were really the king when we were growing up. The ultimate hot hatch or ultimate performance car had a, a small-capacity turbocharged engine. That was generally the way it went. So for me, the Mustang with the EcoBoost engine or the four-cylinder 2.3 is, is the best combination. And as I said in my, my um, justification to you, Chris, I would get a stupid exhaust from Roush and a naughty intercooler, and it would be up around the same power as a V8, except I'd be going around corners and embarrassing everyone at the lights. Hmm. Okay. What about... Okay, let's, let's move up. Let's All move right. up the price rack, brackets a little bit. Your next two picks are both probably fairly, fairly sensible choices, but with some fun. Uh, an RS3 for a hundred grand, or a seven one eight Spider for two hundred grand. Yes, yes, exactly. So once again, trying to go a little bit sort of left field, not fall into the same categories as everyone else, because that's not very interesting reading, is it, Chris? You know, basically, we're doing your job for you by writing this entire story. As I only pointed out at the start. So, um, yeah, look, I, the the RS. Three uh, is one of the few remaining ways you can get into a car that has a five-cylinder engine, and we all buy that 
that car or anything with a five cylinder for the way it sounds. We don't really care about how it goes. There's other hot hatches that do the job arguably better, but for perhaps arguably a dying breed of inline five cylinders and the noise that comes with it, I, I would find it very difficult to not spend um, 100 grand or near enough on that car. The RS3 is quite good. Andy's choices are for 100 grand, uh, an M2 competition pure, which just just cuts in there, or uh, as an absolute sycophant, <laughs> a Mercedes-Benz EQC 400. Oh. <laughs> which was the wheels car of the year. Wheels car of the year, flying the flag for wheels. <laughs> um, now, the, the, the M2 competition pure is arguably an easier thing to defend. Um, it's a great thing. Uh, I, you know, we did a, a comparison between uh, the M2 and the Alpine A110, and they're both fantastic, aren't they, Dan? I'm sure absolutely, you agree. absolutely. Good, good way to spend 100 grand. Yeah, both cars, actually. I did think about maybe yeah. being an idiot, but as Chris stated at the start, you have it's this one car for your garage. And, and really, of all the cars we're talking about, regardless of the price bracket, the M2 is the car that really does everything as an all-rounder best. Like, you totally could live with that car as your commute car every day, but then on good weather days, track days, it would obliterate pretty much everything else, including my RS3. So I reckon that's the indisputable best choice for the money in that category, Andy, definitely. But, yeah, the, the other one, the EQC is an interesting thing. It's it's just so beautiful and smooth to drive. It's it's really, really relaxing vehicle. And, and I think what they retail at, about 140. So you could absolutely doll that one up to the nines with Burmester stereos and, you know... <laughs> weasel skin leather or whatever they offer i don't know yeah. um a fake tailpipe. But, uh, i'd love it if they if yeah there was a, a fake tailpipe for an eqc i thought that would be such a great thing you could spend your money on side pipes <laughs> yeah like the, the g the g yeah wagon um Chris, what did you go for uh for 100 grand i chose the correct option which no one else did which was the alpine a110 or alpine uh. a110 um, I took a, a, a page out of the book of our Lord and Saviour, Gordon Murray, who also daily drives one. Um, really? The only things he doesn't... Yes, he does. And the only things he doesn't like about it are that it is uh, not manual and it has a turbocharger. But I think both of those things are outweighed by the fact that it is hilariously fun and it looks very cool. And it's actually quite comfortable too. It's nice to drive on a on a long commute. It's one of those yeah. cars that if, if you saw, if you, you were... You know, like on our when we eventually return to our daily regular commute and routine, if you saw someone retracing the same steps every day and you worked out over a short space of time they were commuting in an Alpine O110, I would have enormous respect for them. I don't know about you guys, but you you'd know absolutely there's someone who, for the joy of owning and, and living with a really cool car, are prepared to make some sacrifices. And that for me is the mark of a true petrol head. And as I say, you'd sort of you doff your cap to them every day when you saw them up. Yeah, you just yeah. know that a, a, a large, you know, cup of coffee is going to leap out of some <laughs> ill-conceived orifice on that vehicle and land in their bollocks. Don't you? It's, <laughs> you know, it's it's a fairly it's a fairly compromised thing to live with on a daily basis, which, which is why I chose the uh, with Richard, the BMW. But uh, I've got enormous respect for people if they would choose the uh, the Alpine because it's it is a great thing. That's why you don't, an Alpine A110 owner doesn't have to tell you, you can just tell from their funny walk that they're an owner. <laughs> At some point, they have had scalded nuts from driving it. Staggering into the office with a giant 
dark Wembley <laughs> on their crotch. <laughs> yeah, happened again. Oh, <laughs> Moving on. I think we have to. <laughs> I chose a, an AMG C63S coupe for my 200 grand option because we had one as a long-termer. Well, Dylan Campbell, the editor of Motor, had one as a long-termer, which I hijacked many, many times. Yeah. Uh, because daily... Uh, yeah, yeah. He sort of... Sometimes I would tell him when I would grab the keys off the hook, but it was normally because he was driving something far more exotic and expensive. So he wasn't really paying much attention to it. But I think we all came to the decision that as a car to daily drive, it's actually completely gorgeous. And the sound of a V8, even with the bimodal exhaust set to quiet, you just put the back seats down and it's like having it open anyway. So um, I think a, yeah, a lot of... Uh, what are you about? Are you about to tell me I'm wrong? No, no, that car... No, I, th- I think I get what you're saying there. That car is at the same time practical, but always an event, isn't it? You know, when you it's when you get in and just, fire that thing up, it's it's got something about it. Yeah, like, you know, parking, just driving out of a car park, down to the shops, you know, any time you get into it, it feels very special. Um, it, and the spec we had it into was probably how I would own it, which was in a dark blue, black wheels, carbon ceramic brakes, completely gorgeous. There's just so much about that car that feels like when you, if you'd spent, you know, nearly 200 grand on it, you were... You Seriously, would you, would, you, would, you would spend 200 grand on a car and specify in doom blue. Why did you say that? I I was just about to jump in and um, ask another question. You'd spend that money on a car, and then you'd also get the carbon ceramic brakes. Like, honestly, (laughs) I I haven't driven one without the carbon ceramic brakes, but they looked very good behind the wheel. But it's like, I mean, it's (laughs) twenty grand's worth of looking good. You know, that's like a that's a good nose job. Well, I don't. One. Are you saying I need a nose job? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just it's on my wish list. You know, I was thinking personally. <laughs> all right, all right. Moving, moving on from two hundred, three fifty, and the unlimited category. Okay. Uh, my my choices were again completely impractical, but they were cars that I have, uh, I think, a lot of love for. Uh, yeah. One of the first press cars I ever sat in was a Jaguar F-Type SVR. So a supercharged 5-litre V8. I think the one I sat in was rear-wheel drive, but you can't get that in Australia anymore. Yeah. So an all-wheel drive one it would have to be, but you can get one for a little less than 350 grand. Um, uh, I think that's one of the best-sounding cars I've ever, I've ever exactly heard. Exactly where I was going to go with that, Chris. Yeah, of all the things, like... I f- if you can, it's, it's impossible to quantify um, an intangible thing such as styling, but you pay a lot of money for the way that car looks. It is such an st- stunning, utterly beautiful thing. Um, but, but the other thing, obviously, half the cash for the way it looks, half the way for, for the way it sounds. That It's just ridiculous. When I first drove one of those, I couldn't believe it was allowed. Like, it, it sounds... No, it's, it's like Brian Blessed gargling chisels, isn't it? It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's bonkers. But, uh, I, I don't know about that new the new styling update. I don't know if that's improved it or not. No, how can you um, yeah. flop on that? You can't. I'm yet to see it in person, but I think Ian Callum nailed it the first time around. Yeah, well, he's isn't yeah. Ian gone from JLR now? Is, did I dream that? Yeah, so yes. maybe it wasn't his doing. There you go. So mm. The bed's not even cold, and they've already cocked it up. <laughs> 
I um I Good think book. I would also have the convertible. Oh no! Ooh, is... This is why we're friends. Absolutely. You, again, it looks better if you're buying that car mostly for the way it looks. The convertible with those beautiful sort of buttresses at the back of the roof, a canvas, you know, that matte quality on a on a convertible British sports car. It's just tradition and beauty all in one. It's gorgeous. There's a there's an I, I, would, I would, yeah, I'd normally say you're wrong, but if you've got a car that sounds that great, I can, I can forgive you for having a, a drop top on that one. There's an F-type convertible often parked near my apartment, and I love it, except for the fact that it's in matte grey paint, and it just looks like it would be atrocious to keep clean. Oh, it would. <laughs> and is it really doing justice to those lovely lines? I think, you know, the gloss colours mm. really, I don't know, we're getting into semantics here. And, uh, but still, a, a, support, a, a choice I fully support, Chris. Excellent. Excellent. I'm glad to hear it. Um, my unlimited, if I had as much money as I wanted, another convertible, a Ferrari 812 GTS. I think it felt like a crime not to have a Ferrari somewhere in my list. And yeah, as much as, as much as it's not the fastest, I think you can get an SF 90 in Australia now, which is completely stupidly fast. I said some swears in my article when I described how fast <laughs> I thought it was, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's, I think the V12, you know, uh, GTS is a gorgeous thing. And I think I would be happier looking at that than looking at an SF90. Another great sounding car too. Yeah. Yeah. Scott Newman did a, did a fairly significant drive in the uh, super fast, the coupe version with a roof. And it looked gorgeous and sounded gorgeous. And I thought that is absolutely like what I would want from a Ferrari. And it'll age well as well. You can already tell that it will do what Ferraris throughout the decades and have done so well, and that is age gracefully, and it will still look classic and wonderful and and pretty um, years down the line. There's been a couple of Ferraris lately that I don't think will do that, but that one certainly is glorious. Some of the more aggressive designs, I think, the V8 sort of sports cars are, you know, probably of an era. I think they look good anyway, but I think a lot of their more uh you know grand touring focused sort of v12 cars are the ones that age a little more gracefully yeah, yeah absolutely the four five six is still just knee weakening to look at i think even though if you look at four five six now um and i urge you to use an internet search uh function to look for one look at the wheels on a four five six they're so small how could anyone have thought that would be all right but they look like casters don't they? Yeah, it's so sweet. Those tall, great balloon sidewalls on the tires. Anyway, are we into uh, are we into the, the the big ticket items now, or, or is there anyone that left to do a three? Um, that, I, I, I went in. Yeah, I, I went Andy. in. A, yeah, three fifty grand. Um, Porsche nine nine one point two nine eleven GT three. Um, specifically in Mexico blue. Uh, I heard that there are a few nine nine one. Still knocking around in the dealer system, so perhaps uh, I can't specify colours and all that sort of stuff. I'll take what they've got, but <laughs> I think that was the best. I know this is a big claim because, but it, I think that is the best car I've driven on Wheels Magazine. We had one of those in a year or so ago, and it was just fantastic. Went up into wow. the Grampians with it, made a lot of noise, um, came back all looking slightly grinning and stupid, um, but. Yeah, that was that was a great car, and that will live with me for a long time. And, and that one was also in Mexico blue, wasn't it? That one. 
That one uh, was it Miami blue? Miami Miami blue. That one, yeah. um, which is a really really nice color, and they do Miami blue, Mexico blue, and Riviera blue, and they all all variations of a theme of this sort of baby bluey kind of color. Um, but when you line them up, uh, Miami blue looks slightly greenish. So I went Mexico blue. Um, there is a Miami unlimited. Yep. I thought I'd be stupid and uh, just go for a Koenigsegg Gamera. Um, I think Lorbeck have the uh, contract to to bring these into Australia. I think they can bring in that's, 12. Yeah, that's correct. There's a small yeah. little section of the Lorbeck dealership in Port Melbourne that is a Koenigsegg dealership. Yeah, and uh, I think they've they've got orders for five, I believe. Um, yeah. but that thing is just stupid. I, I just love the... They sell five. Blimey, the sales staff. You can buy a house with the with the commission. <laughs> yeah, it's all right, isn't it? But, um, uh, no, it's rid- ridiculously fast, good looking, conceit for. Why wouldn't you? And also, they uh, you're never in any danger of doing the cardinal sin of cool car ownership and those going down the road and seeing another one go the other way. You're never going to do that in a Jamir, are you? No, I, I think you'd struggle. Um, my up to 350 was BMW i8. Um, yes. Decision. Yes, I know, I know. It's not a supercar, even though it wears a supercar price tag. Um, it's very much in sports car territory in terms of its size and its performance. But um, I do like it, though. I very much like it. It's a very cool-looking, smart sort of car. It does, it does what I... It, it, it dealt a similar amount of surprise and delight on me as the Honda NSX. I thought I was going to get in it and it was going to be just a mess of technology over substance, you know, just a, a company trying to flex its muscles and prove it's got a forward looking um, stance. Um, both cars absolutely delighted because they're this wonderful blend of traditional combustion power, but also equal measures of the future and electrics and clever use of them, not just gratuitous use of them. And, and I love in the i8, you get this wonderful combination of sounds. You get the proper weird three-cylinder turbo from behind. You get the whine of the electric motors and the whole thing just, just um, yeah, combines to be such a, a brilliant result. So worth the money. I didn't go the convertible, even though the budget fitted. I just, yeah, once again, like the styling of the F-Type, the opening those doors every time you get in and out is worth the cash. How do you think the styling will date on that car? It's an Terribly. interesting thing. Isn't Already it? De- date horribly, <laughs> but I don't care. <laughs> People will still look at it. I can't get past the back the back end of it. It looks like it's crapping out a Porsche nine nine seven. It looks like it does look like there's a sort of nine nine seven that it's been built around, and they've just kind of had to mould it into the back of the bodywork, squeezing it out. Yeah. <laughs> And it's the, well, once looking. you've seen that, you can't ever not. You can't ever look at the. No, you're never going to not see the Porsche 997 trying to escape yeah. from the rear of a BMW i8. Oh dear. Um, your other your other choice for the top end of town was completely the other direction, much less high tech. Well, not less high tech, but much more aggressive and less friendly to yeah. our uh, dear mother nature. Yeah, and as we were saying at the start here, the reason we're sort of going over our decisions is if we wanted to um, renege on one of them and change your mind, uh, this probably is going to be one for me. Um, The Lamborghini Aventador SVJJ, as I like to call it, um, it's a stupid car. I said in my paragraph about it that 
um, you'll probably try and tell me it's virtually suicidal to drive, impractical, horrid, and it will try and kill me every cor corner. Um, to which you have to say, well, that assu you're assuming I will drive it, which of course I won't. But then back to the original rule, you have to have just one car in your garage, and that doesn't really make much sense if the one car is simply for looking at. So I have to go back and make uh, a, a, an, an alternative option, don't I? Um, and it's a difficult one. Can I get, can you get a, um, uh, a Pagani in Australia? I think you can there, can't you? You can. Whether you can drive it on the road or not is another question yet. But you can buy a Huara Roadster for, I think, four and a half million dollars. Well, it's the unlimited category, so I win. <laughs> I've got the most expensive one. Are you sure you don't want to do what, uh, as until recently, uh, Street Machine editor Simon Telford chose and went with a Lamborghini Urus and his explanation was possibly the funniest of all of those in the article and it just said, because inside me there is a horrible stockbroker waiting to get out. <laughs> Telf's choices were really left field, weren't they? I was expecting all sorts of hairy-chested kind of muscle cars and all that. And I'm looking at it thinking, has, has someone abducted Telf and is sitting in his house in his place? <laughs> he had, a, he had a, a Suzuki Jimny and a, um, and a Renault Megane RS in there as well. It was sort of yeah, an all-over-the-place yeah. kind of list. An absolute legend. Does that mean we're done? Is that it? We've so we didn't really no, go back on. Um, we didn't backtrack on many of our decisions. I'm surprised actually, because normally we're a regretful bunch, but uh, not on this side. <laughs> it changes day to day usually, but I yeah, think true. with this with this list, everyone's probably constantly thinking about it. Yeah, that's right. It's like sitting around in bars. It's just like no one asked the question because we know everyone is poised like a coiled spring with all their responses. <laughs> all right, well, let's... let's it, um, is, it is that, that age-old question that every motoring journalist gets as soon as someone at a bar finds out what you do for work. And now I can just send them a link to this article. Perfect. And I urge you, uh, if you haven't yet seen it on whichcar.com.au, forward slash motor um go and have a look it's a really good read it's, it's quite insightful it's uh, it really reveals the way our crooked minds work changing tack ever so slightly for the last few minutes of the episode this week gentlemen um the circumstances prevailing have meant that our regular automotive uh, car ownership and driving routine has changed somewhat um when all the covid19 restrictions came in it meant that we uh, almost uh, across the board stopped getting press cards because it was First of all, irresponsible. Secondly, illegal in many uh, places to be out on the road, um, but also just plain difficult. So many of us were forced back into our own cars, God forbid. Now, this is something that most journalists doesn't often have to do because, of course, we are showered with cars from one week to the next. Um, but it was, a, it was a really nice, you, Chris, again, this is a, one of your contributions. I saw you posted, you waited until midnight, didn't you, on the, on the day that we were allowed to go back and, and just actually make recreational drives. And you took out um, your car, which I'll let you tell everyone what it is, but it's regarded as, I think it's one of the most commonly owned cars by motor journalists in Australia, isn't it? It's, I think it's a bit of a must have. I didn't actually wait until midnight that night. It was the next one I went out because I think I was very busy with work and right. very tired <laughs> afterwards. But um, a motor editor, Dylan, did take his car. Uh, he owns a Toyota A86 in, um, in red out and um, went for a drive at basically midnight that night. I, the next night, took my 1989 Mazda MX-5 out for a drive. And I think that car is one that you probably must own at some point if you're a motoring journalist. 
So I got it out of the way early because I'm in my twenties. Um, <laughs> this, thus the, uh, thus the bias for my MX five choices in my list as well. But I think the ND, the new one really holds up to the sort of values of the original, um, which is the one I own. Uh, but yes, I, I took it out for a drive. It was freezing cold. I drove it around sort of suburban Melbourne as soon as I was allowed to do it just sort of for the sake of it. Um, and I didn't stray too far from home. But what I like about this, late. <laughs> I like, I like this, this tale and the way it's sort of, it, it was sort of all, it happened organically is that you, for many months, this car that you bought just to lay idle, you didn't really do much with it. And, it, and that's not a criticism because I know this is the way, you know, life and work gets in the way and you'll be given press cars to drive because you must for reviews. And it just kind of didn't get used very much. But then in the, in a few weeks before the restrictions and the shutdowns and lockdowns, quite coincidentally, you actually put a lot of work into the car and you got a lot sorted and you started using it. Um, and it coincided perfectly with you not being able to use it for some weeks. But um, you, it really made, and I, this I speak for myself as well, it's really made me grateful for the car I've got and also those times when you, you, you can just go out and go for a drive recreationally. It's the same for you, I think. Exactly. Yeah, I, uh, I owned this car since I basically since I started the motor. So I've had it since early 2017, and um, I've, it wasn't roadworthy when I bought it. And I basically have spent three very painful years getting it to the stage of being registerable. And uh, l- late last year, I made the decision that I was really going to hook into it. And I think in February, it was finally ready. And then COVID happened. So I had one very long, very good drive up a mountain roof down, sunny day, you know, I covered a few hundred Ks in it and then had to park it for a few weeks. But it was oh. possibly one of the best drives I've ever had. Um, and also knowing the work that went into it, I really appreciate my own car so much more now. This car that I spent less than $5,000 on has provided more fun than some of the, you know, several hundred thousand dollar uh, press cars that we've been given. I won't, you know... I won't say that I don't enjoy driving those cars, but there's a very personal connection to the car that you own. And I think that's, that's uh, something that I rediscovered how special it was because I kind of did miss having my own car to drive. There's um motor journalists often talk about, you know, the analog nature of older cars and jumping back in one kind of resets your perception of, of new cars and all the electronics that have gotten them, you know, and, and things that, disconnect you from the road and then the the electronics and the technology and the measures and the re-engineering that's been put in to reconnect you and and do you agree i mean the mx5 to to is probably the epitome of cars that can reset and sort of reground you in what makes a good driver's car um pure you own one of the best examples for doing that it is so good for that it tells you everything that's happening constantly whether it should be or not, because at the moment mine's making some awful gearbox noises. <laughs> but, it, you know, no power steering. The suspension is quite soft, so you get every little, you know, every little nook of the road that's, you know, um, bumped the wheel up a little bit, you feel it. It's, but it's not too harsh. Um, and in, anytime the, the car feels like it's about to start letting go in terms of its grip, it lets you know as well. And then you can decide whether you want it to or not, which you shouldn't on the road. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Thank you for stepping in with that disclaimer. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, but you're, you yourself have a quite nice, relatively old car that's a little bit more analog than most of the cars we drive for work as well. 
I do, I do. Um, yeah, and, and the story of that car is when I was still a mechanic with BMW, I, I bought it. It's a 1998 um, BMW 318 IS Coupe uh, manual. And I bought that, as I say, when I was still on the tools, BMW. And and then I got a job where I didn't really need to use it very much. And then it just sort of followed me around a couple of houses when I moved around Victoria and sat there largely looking very sad and neglected. And I felt terrible every time I, I saw it. And then one day, moved to a house which actually had somewhere to work on the car. And I promised myself I was going to put some work into it, get it back to a condition where I'd want to drive it. You know, previously I'd, I'd driven it because I had to, like I was going to leave it at the airport or, you know, it was probably never going to start again if I didn't start it up one weekend. Um, but I wanted to get to the point where I look at it and walk past it and really want to get in and drive it. And and that's uh, that's exactly what I did. I, I, I fixed a few things that had been just not quite right. Um, I didn't want to modify it too much to look very different because it's one of the very last E36s coupes that came to Australia. So it's dressed up in all the M3 body kit from factory and it was an M3 color. It's got sport interior. And so I wanted it to really look like um, uh, it always had been intended. Um, and I didn't look like, want to look like one of those dicks that tries to you know, make it better aesthetically than a group of proper car designers in Germany managed. Um, but I did bottle supercharge. However... Yeah, <laughs> when it comes to the engineering, <laughs> yeah, stuff what the engineers decided after billions of dollars worth of research. <laughs> eBay supercharger. <laughs> it wasn't an eBay supercharger. It's one that actually works. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was the thing I wanted to do. Like the the M44 engine is a wonderful bit of kit, but it it only produces 150 horsepower. So. That was the one thing that you got in the car and you thought the gearbox is lovely, the handling is wonderful, this mechanical power steering is so precise, but it just doesn't go anywhere. So I addressed that problem and I'm happy to say it was quite an effective um, result. Now, Andy, your car, much less old. Yes. Um, throwing back to our previous discussion, you know, the thing that uh, motoring journalists always say, if you call a, a motoring journalist like at a party or something, you say, what? Well, what car should I buy? If he's bored, he will always say, or she, buy a Golf. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's the standard, you know, go away, leave me alone, buy a Golf. Um, and we bought a Golf. <laughs> we actually, <laughs> actually followed our own advice. Yeah, um, bought a Golf 7. Um, and it, it doesn't actually get a lot of use. It sits in the, it sits in the garage for most of the time. Um, because it's owned by a major journalist. Well, yeah, well, whilst, whilst this lockdown thing was in... Uh, in place uh we consulted vic police and said uh you know is it okay if we go out to photograph uh the vehicle on location you know given that we're at work and stuff you know our, our press vehicle and uh they, they were like yep you know that's that's a, a legitimate work purpose so i did a lot of photography for my long-term reports up around um the black spur and marysville um, which really? involved me, yeah, yeah, me driving it back and forth, and so I, I managed to sort of uh, keep doing a little bit of driving, uh, which was which was good for me because, uh, but it, it's only a CX thirty, my long termer, and it's not it, it's not got the best tires on the front that he's done lots, um, so it doesn't offer a lot back. Um, I got I got a I got a Veloster Turbo. Oh, um, super. Just for a few days, and and yeah, I can I can fully see why you choose one of those because that car is a real sleeper. Um, the the old one wasn't much chop at all, but this this new one, the front end on it is absolutely mighty, and you can have a great time in that car. Um, the front 
tyres on your uh, i30, when you say they weren't very good, is that because of the choice of the brand and the model or because it had been owned by you as a long-termer for a while? Um, some from pot A and some from <laughs> pot B. <laughs> there we go. So the, uh, the conclusion of this wonderful uh, episode of Which Car Weekly is that Andy wins. Regardless of what we said in the what car would you buy, He's the one out of all of us that actually went and bought the car that we tell people to buy. So, well done. Andy is the winner. Um, Chris Thompson of Motor Magazine and Andy Enright of Wheels Magazine, thank you so much for being part of Which Car Week. Thank you. Episode 58, can you believe it? Um, if you want to find out more about everything we do, whichcar.com.au is the website to go to. You can get in touch with all our socials. Uh, Facebook is Which Car AU, I think, but all the others, including Instagram, are just Which Car at Which Car. Um, thank you so much for joining. Uh, it's been an, uh, an absolute pleasure, which is why we're going to keep on doing it. Thank you, gentlemen. See you all again soon. Goodbye. <laughs> sorry, sorry, <Dad>. <laughs> <laughs> It was just oh, seeing you trying to keep a straight face sent me over the edge. <laughs> and it was, Mummy loves the... <laughs> <laughs>